Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high performance and innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us type tech leaders, favourite off-the-shelf service, providing high-quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer. And I'm speaking to you from the sunny UK, the Big Smoke, London, one of the very few truly international cities of the world. And in this episode, we're going to talk about a company in that city and others around the UK. And it's about how a company called HireCar are disrupting the market of hiring cars by making it as easy as ABC. And our expert guest is going to share his part in that story. And his name is Mark Roberts. So welcome to CTO Confessions, Mark. It's great to have you on board. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Brilliant. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what do you do? Who do you work for? Sure. Uh, so I'm Mark, obviously. I'm the CTO of HireCar. Uh, HireCar is a peer-to-peer car rental service here in the UK. Um, so you can join as a member, list your car, make money when other people uh, drive it, or you can join as a driver and have access to one of our thousands of cars around the country. Wow, fantastic. I mean, that's the, a, a disruptor, um, a, a quite a disruption to the kind of way in which you kind of use cars. And it's not something I've used myself, but but before we kind of dig down into the company, I'd like to know a little bit about yourself. So, um, you know, your kind of journey from being a, a techie to, to a tech leader. I mean, what was that like? Uh, well, it was, it was long. <laughs> so uh, I guess I first got into tech uh, in the late 80s when uh, my, my grandfather uh, got hold of a BBC micro oh, yes. uh, I remember those. fun machine so yeah, i used to spend a lot of time playing on that uh, and then that kind of progressed into programming it because obviously there's only so many things it can do until you tell it to do something so that really kind of got me interested in computers and, and tech and programming and that carried on well till now um uh, but in between i went to university did a, a degree in computer system engineering uh, which my my tutor described as 75 percent computer science and 75% electrical engineering. So it was right. a bit of a tough degree. Yes. Um, uh, but yeah, I uh, finished there um, and then started kind of freelance development jobs. Um, shortly after that, formed a software development company with one of my, my colleagues from university. Uh, and we ran that from 2008 until uh, recently-ish. Um, during that time, one of our clients was Whipcar, which was the UK's first peer-to-peer car rental company. Um, Arguably the world's first. Get Around were incorporated around the same time. You don't know the exact dates. Um, and that went reasonably well, only it was ahead of its time, really. The market wasn't ready for peer-to-peer car rental at the time. Mm. So Airbnb, which everyone knows about nowadays, they weren't really in the UK at all then, or only, only started to be established in the US. Um, so unfortunately, that, that folded. Um, but a few years later, uh, the founders of Hayakar got in touch with me. Um, wanted to kind of pick my brains around what we did back then uh, and on the back of that they asked if i wanted to join them and, and try again and cool. obviously i said yes yeah. uh, it was a, a great opportunity back then it's an even better opportunity now um uh, and that's where we are now i, I joined them as cto uh, nearly four years ago now um, yeah. and and here we are brilliant that's great i mean it's quite a fascinating <laughs> journey from um you know 
I, I like what you said there about uh, the market wasn't really ready for a kind of innovation of that sort. And I think you find that quite a lot with a lot of innovations. They kind of pop mm -hmm. their head up and then somebody kind of whack a moles them back down again. Uh, the market kind of says, well, don't really need you right now. Um, so, I mean, from a kind of tech leadership perspective, um, uh, when you were kind of in the original company working for them, did, could you see that it wasn't ready for the market? Were there kind of indicators from a, from a tech leadership perspective that this wasn't quite working? Yeah, I think um, it was really down to just the education aspect. You know, there's only so much you can do from the tech side to to educate members, um, and it's it's a long process. You know, from the first touch point through to making their first booking through to being a regular user, it, it's so much work. Um, and at the time, a lot of that was manual, so people would would phone up. Or we would have to kind of call them back to to follow up on things. Um, part of the process was having to verify their driving license, um, and back then it would have to be a three-way call between the member, someone on the support team, and the DVLA. Yes. Now, nowadays, you can give us your driving license number and consent, and we can check that automatically. You know, yeah. seven years ago, couldn't do that. Um, and so everything's just kind of getting a bit simpler. And so there's there's more and more automated services that are making the, the tech side much simpler um, and allow us, allowing us to kind of focus on the more manual things. And right. then hopefully over time, we can start automating those too. So in terms of, uh, you know, you, obviously your journey, as you, as you described it, I mean, what kind of advice would you give to kind of aspiring tech leaders out there, knowing the journey that you've taken? What would be your advice on that front? Um, I guess there's a couple of things, really. Um, firstly, you've got to delegate things, you know, transitioning from, you know, kind of an engineer doing all the work to an engineering manager to, you know, head of engineering, CTO, the, the, the higher up you go, the more you've got to get off your plate. You know, time is your most valuable asset and you can't do all the things. You've got to delegate, you know, responsibly. You know, if someone else can do that and they'll do it nearly as well as you, yes. give it to them, get it off your plate. You know, you, you've got to focus on those those tasks and, and the jobs that you can provide the most impact for. Yeah. It, it might be that you can do a better job than them, but that's something else that won't get done. You know, as long as they can give you know, an 80% of, of the work you can do, even if it takes them you know, 50% longer, get on the high impact stuff. That, yeah. That's that's I like one that. of my, that's, I guess, really good biggest things. Yeah. Uh, I mean, delegation is an art um, in itself Absolutely. to learn that. And, and, and I guess it's the art of letting go as well. You know, it's, uh, it's, the, it's that That's whole... it, yeah. Yeah. Especially if you've been working on something for a long time and then, you know, it, it gets big and you start growing. It's kind of your baby. It's, it's, it's all yours. You know, thousands of lines of code that are only yours and you've got to just let go and, and trust other people to take over in certain areas and, and build upon that. That's brilliant, yes. And I guess the other thing would be just to kind of get out of your comfort zone. It's, it's very easy as a kind of a... Um, a software engineer just to keep especially in an agency perhaps to keep redoing the same things reusing the same code not really learning not mm. really getting out of the things you're comfortable with just push yourself you know if, if something an opportunity comes along and you're not sure you can do it pretend you can do it make it till you make it i guess say yes and then learn everything you can about that do the best job you can brilliant yeah just say yes and commit to it yeah i like that yeah and that kind of creates a nice I call it a comfortable discomfort. You know, you kind of put yourself on the edge of that comfort zone. 
and 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 if you've got the substance of character and leadership, you'll you know you figure it out. It's just it's just a matter of time yeah. and resources, you know. Um, so that's great. So coming back to the business, um, so you, you're trying to solve. I mean, if you kind of like wanted to put the the problem you're trying to solve for the market, I mean, what, what would that be? What would that phrase be to to kind of wrap it up? Well, it's very easy because we have a mission. And it's it's printed on the walls in our office where nobody goes anymore. Um, it's connect drivers to cars when and where they want one. Brilliant. Simple. Yeah, I like that. Um, I mean, that that came off the back of traditional car rental just being an awful experience. Yes. Um, you want to hire a car for two days, Saturday to Sunday? No, you got to hire it till Monday because they're not open on Sundays to return the car. Yes. Why? Yeah. It's painful, isn't it? You want to pick up a car at the end of the day, you know, eight o'clock? No, they're not open. You got to pick up at five, pay for those extra hours. You know, why? Why do people go through this awful process? And we want to make that process better. Brilliant. Yeah. And and in terms of uh, your kind of coverage, are you, are you all across the nation or uh, is it kind of like hotspots? Hot yeah, it's, it's hotspots. You know, the, the platform is live nationwide. Um, so you can sign up in, in the Shetland Islands, list a car. You can sign up in Cornwall, list a car. Um, but where we kind of focus our our uh, our resources, um, our marketing, our proactive customer support are in the cities we've kind of launched in. So London, Brighton, Bristol, and more coming soon. Yes, um, great. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's where we, we kind of proactively manage things. So we have a small fleet of our own cars that we will move around to balance supply and demand. And um, so we know almost down to sort of postcode or even street level in those areas where the supply and demand are, and we can you know, do our best to balance those at any given time. Yeah. Um, but outside of those, you're kind of on your own. You know, if you come to us and you want to, as an owner, you want to drive more demand in your area, we can give you resources. You know, we, we've got leaflets you can print out. We've got voucher codes and, and mates rates, referrals, all these things to help you. Um, but fundamentally, you're kind of on your own until we launch in your city. Brilliant. I, I like that. I like the fact that you've kind of taken a, a gradual approach. Because I, I was uh, contemplating this um, the other day. You know, how do you, I mean, this is a kind of big idea. Uh, how do you kind of take this kind of big idea and kind of gradually incrementally kind of bring it into the market? Because there's a kind of critical mass of where it actually starts to, to function, you know, uh, well. Yeah, so mm -hmm. it's challenging. And, and you kind of mentioned here around, um, you know, when you kind of look deeper into what you're trying to solve here and the, and the technological uh, challenges you have, are you know like data you know uh data mm -hmm. positioning logistics and what have you so i mean is this something that you kind of um behind the scenes is all done kind of like digitally or is it kind of a little bit of a manual kind of look at the map and figure out things um, it's a bit of both so we can sort of dynamically change where we are targeting our our marketing spend yeah. Um, so where we need more supply, we can target owners. Where we need more demand, we can target drivers. Yeah. Um, so there is some automated one. But when it comes to moving our fleet around, uh, we have a, a full-time fleet coordinator whose you know, sole job it is is to focus on these areas where these cars are and where we can move a car to make a big impact. They'll make sure that gets done. Um, really? So it's, it's kind of a balance. You know, One day, it would be great to have that automated. You can click yeah. a button or... You know, yeah. the system will say, oh, we need more supply here and yeah. we'll trigger something to go and move those cars. That'd be great, but we're a long way from that. All right. A little howl in the corner, you know, to kind of uh, tell you, yeah, you might want to move those cars kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then a big, big drone to come along and pick it up and <laughs> reposition it. That's right. Yeah. Well, dream the dream, you know. Um, yeah. Um, so that, that's great. And in terms of, you know, 
again, your tech leadership, what, what challenges have you kind of, uh, the biggies that you've kind of noticed that you've had to kind of overcome? Um, for us being a marketplace, the, the biggest challenges are trust and security. And yeah, so we've got to make sure that when a driver signs up, who they say they are is really who they are. So we have multiple layers and multiple verification steps that they have to go through before they can even request a car, let alone get into one and drive. You know, Once they've requested it, there's a few more checks. The owner has to approve it unless it's, it's an instant book, in which case it's automatically approved. Um, and then when they go to pick it up, they have to use our app. We do some facial recognition. We do some additional behind the scenes checks. Uh, so that we, we do our best to make sure on our owner's behalf that those drivers are vetted and, and reliable drivers. Um, yes. and, and as a marketplace, of course, it works the other way around too. So we have to ensure that the, the cars that are listed are really that car, that they're eligible. We have to make sure that they are roadworthy, they're taxed, they're MOT'd. You know, we don't want a driver turning up and it's a wrong, it's a completely yes. different car or they get in, get in the car and it falls apart. You know, that's, that's no good either. Uh, so there's all these things we do ahead of time to make sure that, that both sides are, are being represented correctly. Um, that's a yeah, lot of so data and a lot of processing uh, behind the scenes. It is, it is. And you know, actually one of my, my jobs in Q1 this year is to really dive into this and make sure we're using it efficiently because it can be quite costly, the, the checks we do. Um, we want to make sure we're getting the maximum value out of those checks. Yes. Yeah, I can imagine somebody turning up and uh, I'm sure this doesn't happen, but just as a comical, you know, somebody turns up and it's like an only fools and horses, you know, the trotter, the trotters kind of van, you know, kind of thing. It's not it's not what mm -hmm. you want. But uh, yeah, so I mean, from a security perspective, I'm kind of curious around that. Cause there's lots of kind of, um, well, kind of gaps and not gaps, uh, places where the security can kind of uh, lose the car. It's a high ticket item and stuff. Well, what kind of stuff have you had to kind of think around that to, to make sure it all works? Um, so there's a few things we do. Um, so we have to kind of two kinds of pickups. We've got a key handover where you meet the owner and the owner hands over the keys. And then we have um, keyless cars where you just open them with your mobile phone. No no need to, to uh, meet the owner at all. Uh, yeah, so with the, the key handover cars, um, we don't have visibility of where they are. Uh, so there is a slightly greater risk to the owners for these cars, which is why we encourage our owners to have the quick start boxes installed. Installed, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, I love the idea of um, being able to kind of, yeah, the kind of keys, bit of an, an old technology, you know, so uh, having your phone uh, to kind of unlock things. And, and in terms of keeping that secure as well, is that quite a kind of secure uh, uh, approach to, to, to making sure that only the person that's hired it can open it? Yeah, so the, the keys are are created by our, our system on the back end and they're kind of encrypted and signed so the actual digital payload can't be modified. They're tied to that particular car for the duration of the booking and they're also tied to the device that asked for the virtual key at the time. So you can't then log into another phone yeah. or give your, your login to someone over the phone and they log in on their phone. Okay. You know, that, that, that digital key won't work on that device. We have an explicit process to allow you to transfer the key, but that involves you effectively verifying your identity again on the new device to make sure that it is really you there. And and so from a again from a technology, because as I mentioned before, I um, I'm, I used to be a, a software engineer myself, an embedded software engineer, and all these kind of avenues of um, you know, I mean that must have been quite challenging to kind of make sure that you've got all the all the paths kind of closed off, you know, and all the use cases and and misuse cases. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we 
you know, we've learnt over over time some of these edge cases that we hadn't discovered initially. Um, yeah. yeah. So it, it took, I think it took around nine months from when we first kind of agreed to use this technology to, to having it available in the apps. Yes. And then probably another nine to 12 months of learning from real real uh, real world use yeah uh, around some of these edge cases yeah it's it's a it's a it's a minefield of of security problems um and but i believe we've got them all recovered now you got them all all kind of tidied up there and knotted mm -hmm. and so um in terms of um the kind of customer journey then i, I imagine you know there's kind of lots of ways in which you can approach well, maybe there may be. I mean, that must have been quite challenging to make sure that your approach is customer centric to make it. You, may, you mentioned around kind of hiring a car being painful. And yeah, I, I, know, the, I know the pain. Um, so how, how do you kind of uh, make sure that you are customer centric? Uh, well, we listen to our customers all the time. Um, so both ahead of a booking. So we have a live chat system. People can, can talk to us. Uh, we have a phone number. You can call up and speak to someone on the team. Okay. Um, Plus, you know, we have reviews both in the system uh, after a booking, and uh, we also invite our members to leave public reviews on Trustpilot. Uh, so we have plenty of kind of regular feedback. I'm sure everyone does this. Um, and that tends to bring in the feedback from people who really like or really hate the experience. Yeah. And that's good feedback. But the really great feedback is when you speak to someone and find out why. You know, they said they loved it, but but why? Why did you love it? What, what was it that made you love the experience? Yeah. Uh, and so... Almost everyone in the company is encouraged uh, to you know, call and, and speak to our members, actually speak to them, have a one-to-one -one conversation around their experience, either before or after, um, and kind of speak to them in general terms, but also really dive down into why it is they, they think what they think. And that's what really drives um, us as a company. You know, we, we really want to understand what it is our members want, both the drivers and the owners, and then we'll test ideas around what it is they want and if they work great we'll try and make that better and automate it if it doesn't work also great in it move on to the next thing so it's always based around the learnings after speaking to our members right yeah that's a, yeah that, i like that then and, uh, and in terms of feeding that into your kind of requirements backlog or uh, feature changes or bugs and what have you um i mean is that how, how do you do that because i'm kind of quite curious as you, how you make sure you kind of capture uh, this valuable feedback mm -hmm. so we try and log as much as we can of what we hear verbatim in in google docs uh, so we have lots of long documents with typed out responses to, to questions sometimes from surveys sometimes from these calls sometimes from focus groups and then periodically we'll, we'll kind of go through and, and uh, collate feedback and and uh, and measure what what's coming up most often you know what, what are the high frequency items uh, and which of these things can we change to, to make the system better? Um, sure. So yeah, we we have we have a loose process. It's kind of loose because the feedback format is changing constantly. Um, yeah. But uh, our head of product does a, a great job of kind of going through all of the the feedback coming from the various sources, from the various team members, and identifying what's the most the most common themes, uh, and then making sure the tickets get created for the right people for those. Brilliant. I love that. Yeah, that's good. It's kind of got your ears to the ground kind of thing. Uh, we had a previous uh, uh, CTO on who they, they do a telematics uh, toothbrush of all things. And uh, they actually have, uh, uh, this is in the States, so it kind of reduces your uh, dental insurance. Uh, so, John, okay. 
fascinating and, and they actually sit in on calls uh, they sit in on uh, you know customers phoning up listening in to see you know how things are where the pain points are how they can make it easier so it's good to kind of hear mm -hmm. that you are actually trying and, and i guess you know um the importance of getting that right is is that it, it implicitly markets your uh, product because it works and it's easy and it's a pleasant journey you know kind of thing in yeah, more ways absolutely what yeah, word of mouth is you know one of our primary sources of of new users. You know, people having a great experience, telling yeah. people, and then those people signing up too. Cool. So coming on to now your leadership, right? So I want to focus mm -hmm. on you for uh, for a bit in terms of your leadership. So how do you get the best out of your teams, Mark? Um, I find the best way to get uh, get the best out of them is to just get out of the way. Cool. Just, I like just, it. Just uh, yeah, just everything that kind of blocks them and stops them getting on with work, get that out of the way. Yeah. So make sure they've got the best best equipment, best tools, so you know that they spend less time messing around with these things. Yeah. Um, whenever blockers come up, take care of them as quick as possible. You know, we, we have daily stand-ups, and one of the things we really try and get out of everyone in the stand-up is what's blocking you. You know, is there anything that's blocking you now or will be blocking you soon? Yeah. And we'll focus on on getting that out of the way. Brilliant. Um, I think a couple of other things that are quite important are um, being very transparent about what's coming up. So rather than running a dev shop where there's a huge backlog of tickets and you kind of throw them one by one at the developers, you know, they have full visibility into what's what's coming up. Um, we tend to only prioritize a kind of a short short while ahead because you know, feedback comes in and, and things change quite rapidly. But all of the things that we want to do that have come up are there and visible. Yes. Um, and then the things that we are definitely going to do sooner are there as well. So so they've yeah. always got this visibility on what, what they're likely to be working on next. Um, and then that also is kind of loosely related to kind of autonomy and responsibility. You know, everyone in the team has the ability to see something that needs fixing and fix it and ship it without having to go through layers of bureaucracy. You know, yes. it's, if something comes up and it's going to take you an hour and it's an obvious good thing, just get it done. Do it. You, know, you don't need to come to me. You don't need to go to a committee or anything. Just just do it. Ship it. And uh, yeah, ha having having that autonomy having that responsibility in the team um really helps because they know that actually they're having an impact not just doing whatever they're told to do but actually finding out things fixing things yeah. and, and working on the road like that yeah. i love it that's good I, it's um yeah it, i think autonomy is, is very important to kind of create leaders uh within the organization you know to, to kind of lead themselves you know to make the decisions on the thing um and in terms of um you know the teams and stuff what's what's been your biggest challenge i i mean i've got one in my mind that's a big challenge at the moment <laughs> so well, yeah I think, I think everyone has that yeah yes so how have you kind of handled that um in a number of ways it, it's strange it, it's affected us in different ways at different times so back in march when the lockdown was announced most of our business kind of disappeared overnight almost um and we dealt with that by kind of repurposing our fleet um, we had an offer for NHS workers to use our cars for free uh, because you know they, they were not being used anyway. Um, why not do do some good while we can? Um, and we kind of uh, it, that that evolved into a kind of a permanent NHS offer. So we'll let NHS workers get a percent discount on on rentals. Um, and then when things started easing up, we got very busy again, um, and so we had to kind of change staffing around to, to, to cover that extra um, extra demand on us. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the, kind of the same cycle kind of happened again in November and then 
And then we had a very strange day in December where the, the tier four lockdown was announced. And within a couple of hours, we'd had hundreds of bookings cancelled and, and tens of thousands of refunds issued because no one wanted to, to travel anymore because they couldn't. But at the same time, there was a few days until the lockdown came in. So we had one of our best days ever for, for short-term bookings because everyone wanted to get away today. So we had an awful lot of bookings after that as well. So we had a few hours of you know, just refunds and, and a bad day and then loads more bookings coming in. So it actually turned out to be both our best and worst day at the same time. That's a mix, isn't it? That's quite interesting how things play out. Um, yes. Yeah, so, and, and, and so in terms of your remote teams, then, um, you know, w- working with those and leading that, uh, how, what's, there been the, what's been the learning there for you? So, yeah, it uh, hasn't really affected us too much because Hire Cars always had a fairly, uh, fairly good flexible working policy. So most people work in the offices Mondays and Friday anyway. Um, and then uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, people were mostly in. So transitioning from two days a week working from home to five days a week working from home hasn't really made a huge difference. You know, the only kind of the real difference we've had to, to work out is kind of the, the social aspect. So we've, you know, we used to have a few little socials in the office or, or after hours, and we've had to kind of find a way to do those virtually. But, but otherwise, the typical kind of working is, has not changed too much. That's, that's good. I'm glad to hear it's not impacted too much and you're kind of ready. Um, so, so in terms of that kind of social, you kind of talk about socials, that the, but the social system of the business, how people interact and create those water cooler moments. I mean, how have you, how have you found that? Because um, there's, there's that side of it as well, isn't there? There is, yeah. I, I think there's a few things we're missing out on there. Um, but I've always been a bit apprehensive around this kind of serendipitous events happening in an open plan office. I, I, I'm not convinced that that happens as much as, as people think it does. You know, I think, particularly from a tech point of view anyway, it's it's much more productive to just get your head down and get focused, uh, get on the focus work without distractions. Um, and, you know, working from home where you can turn off Slack and you can turn off notifications, that happens more often. Yes. Um, yes. And it's also much less stressful commute from, you know, bedroom to the office or bedroom to the kitchen or wherever you're, you're set up. That's right. Versus using public transport so it's you know it's a much more relaxing working day as well so i think i think there are far more benefits from any from the tech side anyway and i'm sure in other areas that it's different but on the tech side it's more of a benefit than a, a problem yeah. i was going to say uh, my journey to the uh, to the office uh, through the kitchen uh, can be a bit precarious sometimes because of the dog but, uh, <laughs> but i guess it's not um, I, I used to do the commuting to London and I, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. It just kind of makes life a little bit easier. Um, so uh, in terms of, you know, your, your, your remote teams, I, I, I assume that most of your kind of, uh, you, you're in, in, in-house, do, or do you kind of use external parties to kind of do your development? Uh, no, all development is in-house. So all the tech team is, is all in-house. Um, we, we brought it in ooh, about three years ago now. So um Initially, when I joined, the, the the product was an off-the-shelf product being built by some outsourced developers. But soon after that, yeah, we built our own platform and hired everyone in-house, and it's been like that since. Yes, and how and how have you found that kind of shift? Is that has that worked well for you? Is it been better? Is there kind of things that have been challenging around that? Um, we found it much better. I think partly due to the fact that um, our, our QuickSight technology is a physical device. So, yeah. in order to kind of debug and test it you need a phone you need one of these boxes 
Um, and we had we had a few development ones and we sent them out to the, the developers in Greece at the time. Yeah. Um, and it kind of worked. But then you've got those kind of those debugging cycles saying, oh, well, I'm doing this. It's not working. You then got to explain it mm. over an email or a video call. And then they've got to try and recreate it with their device and their box in another country. Yeah. Um, and it's far easier, you know, well, okay, a year ago, far easier just to walk around the desk and show someone when it's not working. Yes. Um, and even even now with us at home, it, it still feels a bit easier than it was with the, the, the outsourced developers, although maybe that's just a time thing now. Um, yeah. But it does, it's kind of, it, on the surface, it doesn't feel like it's any different. You know, I, I'm on a video call to my developer in London versus I was on a video call to the developer in Greece. It shouldn't be any different, but it, it kind yeah. of feels like it maybe maybe because we've had that you know, we've built up that rapport in the office so it's it's kind of easier to 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 kind of understand the nuances of the conversation whereas yes. with a new developer every time back then it wasn't yeah that's right i could i sense the kind of challenges around that so so it's back to kind of leadership and uh so what from a tech leader's perspective what keeps you up at night what what really kind of uh gives you angst you know <laughs> um Generally, it's kind of external deadlines or, or regulatory things. Um, so obviously, we we're a, an FCA-approved um, company for insurance purposes. Uh, we have various kind of banking regulations we have to follow, um, and there's always a new change and a new deadline that is often imposed at, at short notice. Um, so those are things that tend to keep me up at night because they're deadlines that are immovable you know we have our own deadlines sometimes but they're not real deadlines you know you can just push them back <laughs> but uh yeah. but when the fca says oh we need this by that date like you can't push that back that's yes. got to be done yes that's right i can imagine yeah I, d I didn't really kind of see that side but i can imagine it is very uh, thankfully we live in a, a country where there, you know there's lots of governance and and regulations mm -hmm. i guess that on the tech side of it that's that's the challenge for you you know um to make sure things are done correctly and and in terms of the the kind of life cycle of those regulations do they kind of change often and kind of put like a proper dig in your in your side you know in terms of having to go through another development um the insurance seems to um so we work with a, a really good insurance provider. Um, we switched away from, um, I won't say the names. We, we were with a, a large insurer and we switched to a smaller, but much more kind of uh, partnership based insurer now. And so they actually work with us uh, and they make changes to the policy quite regularly, um, often in response to something we've asked for, which is great because the, the big insurer never did that. Yeah. Um, uh, but sometimes, yeah, they, they, they'll send an email saying, ah, oh, because of, this and this we now need you to make this change today okay um yes right so yeah it, it's it doesn't happen very often but when it does it's usually you know that that's now that's the top priority we've got to get that done and everything else is kind of shifted mm. uh, and delayed a little bit that's great actually because you kind of spoke to a collaboration with a partner uh, where they're kind of on board and giving you that tight feedback loop you know which is very kind of agile and uh and absolutely so, so actually, as I mentioned that word, I mean, agile, you've mentioned stand-ups. I assume that you're using a kind of agile kind of approach to, to doing the development. We do, yeah. We, we don't have a very strict adherence to any particular methodology, but we, we have a kind of a Kanban-esque um, development process. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we have a lot of stuff to get done, um, and then it moves through the various columns. Um, but, yeah, it's we, we, we tried various methodologies in the early 
early days. Um, and there's kind of aspects from all of them that, that work for us. So we've kind of Frankenstein our own process that, that worked for us. Um, I think we're, we're quite a, a small team at the moment. So it's only a team of seven on the tech side, including me. Yeah. Um, so we can kind of get away with making up our own loose process. Uh, if yeah. we were to get larger and have you know squads or, or multiple teams, yes. then I think we'd have to use a more robust process. But this really works for us at the moment. Brilliant. I love that. I love it when people say this works for us. A plan comes together, you know. Um, yes. So um, in terms of uh, the technology then, so from an engineering perspective, um, you know, what gaps do you see uh, in the kind of development uh, of, of your products? Um, do you have any kind of gaps? Um, I think the biggest gap we have really is kind of around QA. Um, because, again, we've got a physical device. It, it's difficult to test all of the processes easily. And someone's got to have the, uh, the app installed on a phone, ideally an Android and an iOS phone to test both platforms. Yeah. And then one of these dev boxes. Um, so we have a few of them distributed amongst the team at the moment, but obviously the, the developers need it for developing. And then we need to test with it as well. So kind of at the moment, we've got the developers doing the testing as well. Um, we've also got the head of product doing some testing. We don't have a kind of a dedicated QA role. I don't think we have enough demand for it right now. Um, but that's the kind of um, the, the capabilities that, that we are lacking in or, or in a dedicated role anyway. What, what I see there is, is that, there's, that you feel there was an importance there to kind of get that kind of warm, fuzzy feeling that what you've kind of uh, delivered uh, is uh, pretty much kind of tie, you know, tidy and uh, buttoned up, you know, kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, and, in, and in terms of um, kind of going looking forward so i always like to think of tech leaders like kind of time lords you know you kind of got to deal with your legacy <laughs> systems uh the present yeah. and the kind of future how do you kind of find navigating that is that is that quite challenging for you have you got it kind of all worked out in your head you got it all ma mapped I, I like to say i've got it all mapped um <laughs> uh, but again fake it till we make it uh so <laughs> i think i think um while developing the system um i've always thought about where it could be rather than what we're doing now. Um, and with the exception of when there's a, a real crunch time, that's yeah. always been the case. So recently we've been working on a few features that are becoming more important now with our kind of our, our top owners. Um, and there was a lot of kind of stubbed out code ready for this. Um, so a lot of the work had already been put in by me a few years ago. Um, and so that that's kind of paid off. Um, but yeah, there's there's always times where we just need something done quickly. You know, we, we'll, we've got to get the ship um, and we know that's going to come back to bite us. So yeah, we, we do our best to kind of make notes and comments in the code and kind of say, oh, it, it would be nice if this was done like that. Or, you know, hopefully we can do it like this in future. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the, the platform as a whole is kind of forward thinking. Um, so things like um, one-way hires, we don't do them right now. Everything is returned to base, but there is some capability in the system to you know, consider that in the future. Yes. Um, we're doing a lot of work on EVs at the moment um, and things are a little more complicated there around charging. Um, so we need to make sure that when an EV is returned, it's not booked out immediately because it needs to be charged up a bit first. Yes. Um, so again, there's kind of buffer 
uh, buffer time around bookings that has been stubbed out ready for when we do more work with EVs. Yeah. So yeah, it's all, all about kind of thinking where where we want the platform to be and doing our best to code for that. Yes. Um, or, or code for a kind of a more general form of whatever the problem we're trying to solve now so that we can maintain flexibility in the system in the future. Excellent, I like that. Kind of forward thinking, forward looking, you know, seeing where you're going and uh, letting that drive you. And in terms of legacy systems, do you have kind of challenges around um, uh, systems that were kind of developed a while back ago and, you, and they're not really, they're kind of creaking at the edges? Um, I think we're, we're quite lucky in that uh, because we did a, a ground up rewrite, this is our platform. Yes. Um, and, and with that forward thinking and, uh, and, uh, and being, we've quite aggressively refactored when we've had the time to, um, you know, we know where we've accrued that tech debt and we know we've got to put time in the future to, to pay that down. Yes. Um, so I think our system doesn't really have a problem with, with any kind of legacy yeah. uh, items. But we, we do interact with a lot of external systems uh, and they're not so lucky. And yeah. um, so we do have to send and receive information from systems that are trickier than they they could be yeah yeah i can imagine that's quite tricky but it's good it's good they're kind of keeping that that uh that kind of debt down and uh and keeping on top of mm -hmm. it i mean i used to again just kind of mentioning the fact that i was a software engineer once i used to love refactoring you know because it's an opportunity mm -hmm. to kind of make things more elegant and and kind of iron out the creases as a as i used to say you know um yeah. so as, as we kind of come towards the end of our time together um Mark, um so if i was a genie Okay, I was a mm -hmm. tech genie and I could click my finger and make anything come true from a tech perspective to help you or business or your kind of customers. What would that be? Um, I, th I think right now, autonomous cars, because I'm, I'm in, in the camp of they're much further away than we think they are. Um, so if we could have them now, that would be great. Because I think long term, yeah, autonomous cars, uh, being able to summon a car rather than own or book one yeah that, that is the future but it's not the near future so if it could be that'd be great cool i'll see what i can do for you <laughs> um mm -hmm. uh, and, and in terms of uh, your a, a key takeaway for the kind of tech community the tech uh, boys and girls out there um what what tip would you like to kind of leave them with um i would say that you know we're in a we're in an information era and now more than ever knowledge is power so ask questions be curious, learn constantly, learn, learn about new things, learn about new tech, learn about your industry, learn about other industries, learn about yourself. Just learn, always, always be learning. Love it. And on that note, thank you very much, Mark. It's been great having you on board. Lots of wisdom there. Thank you very much. It was, it was fun. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that was an interesting look at a market that I have used from time to time. And now it's been disrupted for good reason. Mark and his team are creating a very customer-centric approach to making hiring a car smooth and convenient. How about that? So my key takeaways from this podcast were as follows. Number one, how making a very simple mission statement creates such an easy way to align the business to solving a very specific customer-centric problem, i.e. kiss it. And what I mean by that is to keep it simple, superstars. And that's exactly what Mark and his team have done. Love it. My second key takeaway is how a company at the forefront of a new market needs to be agile internally and externally. 
Externally, due to outside legislative forces and collaborations with partners that dictate new paradigms. And thirdly and finally, something that Mark said that amused me, you can be a better leader by getting out of the way. Totally agree with this. And the reason why it amused me is, is that we professional coaches often use these terms when speaking to clients when their thinking is blocking themselves from getting what they want. And in Mark's case, it's about being the best leader you can by setting your people up for success and then letting them get on with it. I know this from my own experience. The best leaders are those that facilitate their people and then set them up for success by their own hands. So thank you again, Mark. Thank you for your time and your leadership gems. And good luck to High Cars Drive to making life easier for all of us because life's complicated enough. And before I go, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter. URLs for this can be found on this page. We're consistently creating material to create, support and nurture a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about our services at IT Labs, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders, favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. That's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a great day or evening wherever you are in the world. From all of us at IT Labs, live long and prosper until we meet again on the next podcast.